folks. You know, Ben is the one of the worship pastors and writes music, and Megan and Garrett are planning a church up in Fayetteville, and they have babies up there. In fact, they have a three-year-old that has red hair, and he got that from me, even though he's a quarter Japanese. Go, Scott! Then he's got in the room. Um, and he was talking to his daddy the other day, and he said, uh, Garrett said, uh, Mannix, he said, what does your daddy do? And he said, I know what my daddy does. He's a pastor. And Maddox, uh, Garrett said, you're right. What do I do as a pastor? What do I do? And he said, well, daddy, he said, you show people where the potty is. So if you guys aspire to be in the ministry, you'll get to show people where the potty is. That'll be your big job. That's a three-year-old's vision of church. Um, I want to, um, so anyway, and I'm married to Todd. We've been married 36 years, which is double, probably almost double most of your ages. But I guarantee you when you find the right one, it, it's wonderful. It gets better every year. And he's, a, um, he's an orthopedic surgeon, been doing that for 25 years. And the, um, <clears throat> the motto of surgeons is got to cut. So if you ever see him, you won't necessarily end up on the operating table because he's pretty conservative. But um, anyway, so that's, that's who I am. We've been at New Life Church for since the doors opened, actually, the very first day and have found our place here and our place in God and just love it. We love everything about it and have just been so blessed by being a part of this group of believers. And I asked the Lord what to speak to you about tonight, and we're, we run the freedom ministry in the church, but he didn't say freedom. He said, speak about Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, which would be called the God's blueprint for the believer. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and we're going to have a little bit of time afterwards that might be kind of different than what you've ever done before, but that's okay. It's good to get stretched, and the whole purpose of this time together is an encounter with God, because you know how Pastor Rick says, if you have one encounter with God, it can change your life? Well, that's true, and the more encounters we have with God, the more our life is changed on a daily basis. So that's my prayer for you guys, is that you will encounter God tonight, and you will feel him, and you will know him, and you will hear him. And we're going to do that at the end um, of this, this little time of discussion. But to start out, we're going to look at tr Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And there are four parts to this, this passage of Scripture. So I want you to just look at it with me. You have it on your, on your um, chair. And it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And there are really four parts to this this. Um, outline of God's, God's blueprint for the believer. The first part is his promise to you. And his promise says, I have a good plan for you. I've got good plans for you, not to harm you. Plans for hope and a future. And the second part is prayer. That's a part of your part in it. And that's prayer. Because the second part of the verse says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. The third part is the pursuit. That's our part. God has already pursued us. We're to pursue him. He wants us to pursue him. Just like a man pursues a woman. When Todd and I first met each other, he pursued me. I mean, he called me like every other day for months. 
And um, it was just amazing. He just wouldn't give up. And then finally we got married. But he never gave up. It was like he, he's younger than I am. And he, was not, he hadn't finished college yet. And I wasn't sure what his future was. So I wasn't too sure I wanted to go out with him. And plus he looked like he was about 12. And, um, and I was 28. So, um, so I wasn't sure I wanted to go out with him. But he pursued and he pursued and he pursued. And finally I realized this guy is amazing. He's been a Marine. You know, he's going to med school. He's got an incredible future. You know, I need to give him a chance. And sure enough, it didn't take very long. We were married, like three months. So pursuit, that's what God wants to do with us. That's God, what God wants us to do with him is to pursue him because he's already pursued us. Um, and we're his bride anyway, aren't we? Uh, so the third part, the, the third part is pursuit. And then the fourth part is the, the prize. And the prize is not what you get. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not um, stuff. The prize is Jesus himself. He's the greatest prize we can have. And that's what we find in the, this very last part of the verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And that's the greatest thing that can happen in our life. So let's start out with a promise. The promise of God's good plan for us comes from his heart. Um, you have been on his mind since eternity past. Now, you may not have thought about God at all today. You may not have thought about God yesterday. You may not have thought about God when you were a little kid. You may not think about him very much, or you may think about him a lot. But he thought about you in eternity past. He saw you. He planned your life. He had good plans for you. And you were on his mind. You weren't just on his mind on the cross. You were on his mind in eternity past because he's eternal. So when you think about God and the way he sees you, think about the fact that he's seen you and he's thought about you since eternity past. That's the kind of God that we have. And his plan for you comes out of his love because it says he gave his son so much. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. His entire plan for you comes out of his love. I was talking to a lady the other day at a, at a ministry where um, I pray for ladies that have come out of jail and prostitution and just a lot of bad stuff. And, um, and we were talking about Jesus, but she didn't know we were talking about Jesus. I said, you know, if you had somebody that would love you and that would die for you and that would have a wonderful plan for you and had all provision for you, would never leave you or forsake you, would always stand by your side, you could always trust them, would you want that person in your life? And she said, well, of course. I said, do you know who that person is? She said, no. It's Jesus, and he's available to you anytime, any day. That's the kind of love that we have available to us every single hour of every single day. It never leaves us, never, ever. And that's where God's plan came from, was out of that love in eternity past for you. So when it says that I know the plans I have for you, remember those plans come out of God's love. And God's creation is a demonstration of his amazing design. Now, I know today in college you probably get a lot of, um, you know, God didn't design the world. But all you have to do is look at the world to see that he did design it. And I, we were looking at a, um, at a video the other night. It's called The God of Wonders. And it was showing, um, I brought you pictures of it. It was showing uh, ice crystals. And I wanted to show them to you because the neat thing about ice crystals is none of them are the same. They're all different. Here, would you come up here and, ch and hold this for me? I can't hold a mic and stuff at the same time. Um, these, these ice crystals come down from heaven, and they're designed by God. Here, I'll grab this one. And each one is different. And this is what, you know, comes on your hand when you hold your hand out in a snowstorm. 
No two ice crystals are the same. Isn't that just amazing? Look at how beautiful those are. Those were designed by God. Thank you. Thanks. Um, these were designed by God. And if he can design an ice crystal like this to be so perfect, they're all hexagonal, every single one. They come down in these perfect formations. If he can design an ice crystal like that, everything that we see in nature is a description of what we see spiritually. Every beautiful thing that you see in nature just describes God. And we can apply it to our lives, to our spiritual lives. So if an ice crystal is this unique, if an ice crystal is this beautifully formed, how beautifully formed are we? If God says, I made you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, he is saying, how much more important are you than an ice crystal? He's saying, you look at creation and I will show you what you mean to me. Because we are what they, the... Um, the uh, the scriptures say is imago Dei, and that means in the Latin, in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. So if an ice crystal is created by a God who created us, how much more we who are created in his image are made to have a perfect plan, a per something perfect for us to do in this life? And the thing about it is, is, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up on the West Coast, and um, here in the South, it seems like uh, church is kind of culture. You know, you go to church because it's kind of the culture here. But on the West Coast, in Oregon, people don't go to church. It's not the culture. You go to church if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't go to church. You go out and go to the beach, or you go surfing, or you go hiking, or you go bicycling, or something like that. So I was not raised in a Christian home. And um, uh, my parents were wonderful, but they were not Christians. So I never heard anybody say to me, there's a great plan for your life. I never heard anybody say, you can do anything you want. I never heard anybody say to me, because they didn't have that kind of a mindset, there is a purpose and a design for your life that is perfect. I didn't know that. So I just kind of lived, you know, from day to day. You know, life is just life. You get up, you go to bed, you, you know, you go to school, whatever. And then when I came into the Christian life and realized God has a purpose for my life, there's a purpose design, there's a perfect design, there's something God has for me to do that only I can do. And there's something God has for you to do that only you can do because of this perfect design. That's what he means when he says, I know I have the, plan, the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's what God means. It means he designed you just like he did the ice crystal, only more perfectly. It means he has a purpose and a plan, and only you can fulfill it. And, you know, the only thing it depends on is you submitting yourself to him, is you giving yourself to him and saying, God, I want to do it, and then he will do it through you. So that's a pretty phenomenal thing when you come to the blueprint of the believer's life. The beginning of it is the promise. We have that promise to just stand on every single day. God has a perfect plan for my life. So when things aren't going well, what do we do? We stand on the promise, you know? We don't have to say, oh, things aren't going well. That means God has forgotten me. We just stand on the promise. The promise is perfect. I'm going to pursue God, and I'm going to fulfill that promise because he has a perfect design for me. So that's the first part, the promise. And then, as a part of that promise, the neat thing that not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made, not only are we a part of a greater story. The, one, the thing to me about the Christian life that is so beautiful is it's not all about us. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. So when you're a part of something bigger than yourself, you no longer have to be self-focused. You can be focused on that bigger plan. And that big story that God has 
is so phenomenal and so beautiful, and we're a part of it, that it takes us out of the everydayness of life, and it puts us in a place of excitement about being a part of a greater plan. It's a huge story, and our part of that greater plan, like I said before, only we can fulfill it because of our uniqueness. So that greater plan is something, and then also... It's the greatest part of that is that not that he what he wants to do for you, although he will do much for you. I had no idea when, you know, I was in my 20s and didn't know the Lord and just messing up big time and making all sorts of bad life decisions. And, you know, I just didn't have any direction and just made all, had all sorts of bad relationships. I had no idea that God had a good plan for me. I had no idea what he was going to do with my life. And then I realized as I came to know him and as I met Todd and then we had started having kids and, you know, God started doing some incredible things in our lives, um, I realized that it's not so much what God is going to do for me, it's what God is going to do through me. And that's what's so exciting because God will do it for you. I mean, he's already promised he's going to take care of you, hasn't he? He's already said, I'm going to, you know, I take care of my children because I'm a good father. A good father takes care of his kids. Um, but the more important thing is what I want to do through you because you're part of something that is so big. It is so big. It's God's desire for this earth. And you're a part of that, that big story, that bigger part. So not what God wants to do for me, but what God wants to do through me is what is the most important thing. And another thing to remember is that what God wants to do through you is eternal. What God does for you is pretty much on this earth, isn't it, as far as material stuff. He might give you a lot of money. He might give you a wonderful marriage. He might give you kids. He might give you all sorts of things, um, a good business, whatever. And, and those things are wonderful. But the things that he does through you are eternal. You will face the Lord someday, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of what I've done through you for my plan. And that's the exciting thing about life. That's when life gets really, really exciting, is when we think about that. So those are the points about... The, uh, the first one, the promise, God's blueprint for our life is that he has a promise. We can bank on that, that the promise is there, the good plan for us. And then the second part is, oh, oh, oh I didn't say this, to give the, the rest of that verse says to give a hope and a future. And hope, it's interesting in the Greek, hope means a confident expectation. It's not just like, oh gosh, I, I hope I get to go on vacation this summer, or I hope that things work out between me and my boyfriend, or I, I hope that I do well on this test. Hope in the Greek means confident expectation. So that's how God tells us we can live. We can live in confident expectation of what he is going to do through us. And that's, that makes it even more exciting. I can be confident of, and I can be expectant about what God's going to do today. So when you wake up in the morning, you can say to the Lord, I have a confident expectation of what you're going to do with this day. No matter what happens, even my car breaks down, I have a flat tire or whatever, this person is mean to me or whatever, that confident expectation is your hope. And God is the one who gives it to you. And you can carry that inside of yourself no matter where you go and no matter what's going on. So that's what hope means. Uh, which is a lot more powerful than just the idea of, you know, hoping for a vacation. Um, so, confident, ho uh, confident expectation. And it's a confident expectation of your future. And that means that we, that confident expectation, takes we take our faith and we hook it in to the power of God and to the presence of God 
and to the person of God. And when we hook our faith into him, into his power, into his presence, into his person, then life becomes amazing, just amazing. Why? Because we are in daily contact and daily connection with the God of the universe, the command center of the universe, literally. That's where we live. We can live there. So that becomes pretty exciting. So the foundation is the plan, the promise. That's our foundation. And then it says, in your verse, you've got it in front of you, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So this is something God desires of us, and that's prayer. Now, why does God want us to pray? Do we need to pray? I mean, do we change God? Do, we, does, do things change because we pray? What's the reason that we pray as believers? We pray because God knows if we don't, we will spiritually die because we have to stay in connection with him. And the way we stay in connection with him is through our thoughts and through our words. We're verbal people. We have, we have vocabulary in our minds. We have to talk to God. We have to, as we're driving down the street, we have to ask him, what do you want me to do today? What am I supposed to do about this? I, I love this verse, Lord. We were just studying a verse the other day, Todd and I, about giving God praise in the morning for his loving kindness and reviewing his faithfulness at night. So we've been trying to apply that verse and, and wake up in the morning, thank him for his love, and at night, Review his faithfulness to us. You take the word of God and you start praying his fa- about his faithfulness and about his love, and you will find that you are in connection with God of the universe. He loves it when we talk to him. But the thing about it is you don't have to talk to him in special words. You don't have to have a huge vocabulary to talk to God. You can just talk to him. You can just communicate with him the way you communicate with your friends. You say, Lord, I don't get this. Why is this person treating me this way? You know how I feel about this. It makes me mad. Lord, what do you want me to do with this anger? He understands that. He wants you to communicate with him in a way that's real, not a way that is high church. You know, he just wants you talking to him, and he wants you asking him questions. He loves to answer our questions. He really does. He loves to speak to us. We just have to talk to him. So we have to stay connected through prayer. And we pray about everything. The scripture says pray without ceasing. Why does it say that? Because it The scripture knows, the Lord knows, the scripture is the mind of Christ, that when we pray without ceasing, we are constantly connected to the heart of God. And don't we want to be constantly connected to the heart of God? And I tell you guys, um, the, the man that is constantly connected to the heart of God is the most manly man in the world. He is the most attractive man to women. He is the man that women will look to as a leader as a guide because he's a humble servant. The woman whose heart is connected to God is a beautiful woman. She is a woman who has a, a beautiful heart. She has a kindness. She has, because the more we behold, what we behold, we become. As you behold the Lord, as you behold the things of God, you become like him. So what you behold, you will become. What you think about, you will become. So whatever you put into your life, you will become that. The more you put of God into your life, the more you put of his word, the more you become like him. And the more you're blessed. You can't be, how can you not be blessed being connected with God in the universe, with a person like Jesus Christ, because he's so beautiful. Um, So anyway, that was just kind of an aside, but but prayer. Prayer is so important. Um, And sometimes we need to know that instead of an answer to our prayer, God will lead us back to the promise. Um, Because that's how we grow. We grow through building our faith. 
We don't always get immediate answers to our prayers. But when we pray and we don't get an answer and we go back to the promise, we go back to God, we go back to who he is, that pleases him so much because he knows exactly what we need. I'll give you an example from my life about prayer. When I, um, when I was 18 months old, I fell out of a taxi cab and it ran over me. And it broke my leg in two places. So here I'm, this little baby with a broken leg in two places in, in traction in the hospital. And as a result, I had two hips that were kind of out of whack for the, most of my life. And as a result, I had to have hip replacements um, about four years ago. And, uh, but prior to that, I was, we were playing volleyball one Christmas, and our family, and I must have come down wrong on my knee because my knee started to hurt really bad. And about three weeks later, or four weeks later, we were going to Nepal on a pretty pretty um, rigorous mission trip. So my legs started getting worse and worse and worse, and I told my orthopedic surgeon husband, you know, my leg really hurts. And he said, okay, let's get an x-ray. So we got an x-ray, and it didn't show anything. It didn't show any broken bones or anything. And he said, you know, you must have just twisted it or something. So I just started taking more pain medication, more pain medication. Pretty soon I couldn't even walk without pain medication. So I said, Todd, we're leaving for Nepal in 10 days. We need to find out what's going on here. So he took an MRI. Well, the MRI showed that I had what's called a, uh, a tibial plateau fracture, which is right on the top of the tibia, and you can't see it on an x-ray. So I had this fracture on my knee, and I couldn't walk. And it was like, we're leaving for you know, Nepal in 10 days. What are we going to do? So I went to my prayer group, and I said, guys, I really need some prayer. I need a miracle. So the, the ladies prayed for me, and the guys that were there laid hands on me and said, okay, Mimi needs a, Mimi needs a miracle. She's got to get to Nepal in 10 days, and she's got a broken knee. So I woke up the next morning, and I was about to reach for my pain medication, and the Lord said, you don't need that. I said, are you sure, Lord? Because <laughs> it really hurts, or it did hurt, but it didn't hurt anymore. And so I gingerly got out of bed, put some weight on it, and it's like there was no pain. No pain. It was literally gone. It was a miracle, just a total and complete miracle. God just healed me. We went to Nepal and had a great mission trip, and I got to tell everybody about how God healed me for this, this mission trip. So, I mean, it's awesome to get a miracle, isn't it? God loves to work miracles. But with my hips, the thing was, we prayed and prayed and prayed to heal my hips, and God never healed them. I had to have surgery. I'd have two surgeries, not one surgery, but two surgeries to have hip replacements. So why would God do that? Why would I pray one thing and he'd give me an instant healing, and the next time I had to go through five years of pain and a lot of really serious surgery? Well, the interesting thing was that going through that hip replacement, those hip replacements, what the Lord did was he taught me some things that I couldn't have learned, I don't think, any other way. And part of what he was doing was refining me because I had this idea of myself that my value depended on my performance. I could ski, I could water ski, I could hike, I could keep up with my athletic family and whatever we did, you know. And I felt like, you know, I had some value because of that. When I couldn't do it anymore, it's all of a sudden I didn't feel like I had any value. I couldn't keep up with them hiking. I couldn't water ski anymore. When I skied, I was in a lot of pain. And it's like, wait a minute, everybody else can do this and I can't. And it was like this lie was inside of me that my value depended on my performance. And God used that entire period to bring that lie to the surface, to refine me in that way, and to give me a value in him and not in my performance. And it took going through two hip surgeries to do it. I'm not saying he's going to hurt you to teach you, but I'm saying sometimes he doesn't answer prayers immediately because he's working on your heart. 
He wants to work on your heart. He wants to work on your faith. And I'm so glad I no longer believe that my value depends on my performance. Because you know what? When I can't ski anymore... Oh, oh, and another thing that's really cool about it is he restored that to me because we just came back from South America, from Patagonia, about a month ago, and I got to hike in Patagonia. You know, so I was able to do it again. But God had worked on my heart, so I didn't believe that my value depended on that performance. So, you know, God knows what he's doing. When he doesn't answer prayer immediately, if he waits, we believe in the promise and know he's refining us. There's something he's doing in our heart during that time. So prayer, keep praying. Always ask for the miracle. Absolutely. But if you don't get it immediately, ask God, what are you doing in my heart? What are you doing in my heart? What do you, what, is there a lie inside of me that you want to speak to, that you're trying to refine, refine, that you're trying to transform inside of me? Because he cares about your heart. He care, we're going to take our soul and our spirit into eternity. Our bodies are going to go into the grave unless we get raptured. Unless we, you know, our bodies will go into the grave. But our soul and our spirit are going to last for all eternity. He's working on that part of us, on that inner part of us, on our hearts. So prayer is, is incredible. To build faith, uh, and faith is like a muscle. A muscle has to be worked to get stronger, doesn't it? So does our faith. We have to, we have to use it in order to build it. So <clears throat> that's something to remember. God's building my faith. There's a lady called uh, Caroline Leaf. She's a, a neuroscientist, and she's done a lot of study on the brain, and she's a phenomenal believer. She's from South Africa. And, um, and in her study, she talks about the the importance of the thoughts that we think, how toxic thoughts can actually make us sick, whereas thinking the Word of God can actually heal us. And they've actually done studies that prove this. It's really neat because it's science proving what the Word of God already says. And she, she was, I was reading about a study that she was writing about that, um, that if you spend, I think it was 12, let me see, it's 12 minutes, is that right? Yeah, 12 minutes a day of focused prayer can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Isn't that amazing? You can improve your brain through prayer, literally. So, and that's been, that's been actually, that's science. So that's the power of prayer. Prayer is a powerful, powerful thing. It's God inside of us. It's communicating with him. It literally changes our brains. 12 minutes a day. That's not very much, is it? Okay, so the second part of the plan, the first part is the promise the second part is prayer in your, in your scripture. The third part says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is our part two, seeking God with all our heart. That's the pursuit, pursuing God, just like Todd pursued me. Why is it so important? Why is it so important for us to pursue God? Because we are only truly who we are designed to be when we are pursuing him, when we are one with him, when we are learning and growing in him. Um, because we were made in his image. If we're made in his image, then we're made for love because God is love. We were designed for love. We were designed to be in union with Christ. We were designed to abide in him. Every human that ever lived is designed this way because we're the Imago Dei. We're in the image of God. Now, you receive the Lord as Savior. It's even greater, but you're st- even those who are unbelievers they're in the Imago Dei. They're in the image of God. And they are designed to be loved by God and to love God because that's his purpose for his creation. So when we step outside of that, seeking his love, seeking his person, what are we doing? 
we're seeking something that can never fulfill us, ever, ever, ever. And all you have to do is read the tabloids and know that's true, isn't it? I mean, all you have to do is read the tabloids and know that people that have everything are not fulfilled. Some of the most famous, wealthy, beautiful people are some of the least fulfilled people in the world because they've never sought God to, to fulfill them. They've never realized that they were designed for love. And the love that we're designed for is the love of God. That's why the scripture says, abide in me. If you abide in me, you abide in life, you abide in love, and you abide in, in, every, you abide, abide in everything that is beautiful and everything that is good. So that's why it's so important that we pursue him. It's because we're designed for him. And if you don't pursue what you're designed for, then what's going to happen? You're just going to miss the mark every time. And, and then life becomes more and more and more disappointing, doesn't it? That's where I was when I found Christ. I was at that point where I thought, okay, that's it. If this is all there is to life, I don't care what I do with my life. It doesn't matter because it's not fulfilling. I'm not going get, to get, get anything out of it. I've already tried everything. I've done everything. Nothing fulfills. It's just worthless. And then I met Jesus Christ, and I realized he's everything and then he brought me Todd. And then he brought me Ben. And then he brought me Megan. And then he brought me into a ministry. Uh, when we were first married, um, Todd was in med school, and then he was in residency. And so I stayed home, and I was just raising the kids. And I was, um, you know, doing backyard Bible clubs and, and for five- and six-year-olds. And I never thought I would ever speak to anybody in a group. You know, I was raising my kids. I had no idea. God had this plan for us this beautiful plan where we would be speaking to people in Nepal. I didn't even know where Nepal was when I was growing up. And yet we've gone in Nepal and, and given freedom to people, to hundreds of people in a country I never even knew I would go to. You don't have any idea what God is going to do with your life. You don't have any idea. I mean, his plans for you are so much more than you can even imagine. Because I can look back now and see, oh my gosh, I had no idea I would do any of this ever, ever, ever. What did it take? Simply pursuit of him. I just want to know you, Lord. I just want to know you. And then he does all the rest. So that's why the pursuit is so important, because he'll do it, he'll do it all, because um, we're made in his image. Um, we're designed to abide in him, abiding in the vine. That means we, we receive our life from him, and we receive life, love, and light from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our source. And um, that's why there's so much darkness in this world. Because places where there's no Jesus, it's so, so dark. Many of you have probably been on mission trips to places like Nepal and India and, and Sri Lanka and places in Asia where um, I remember we were coming out of a, a, uh, <clears throat> a village. Uh, this was last year. And there was this little hut. And there was a little hill in the hut. And they were saying, telling us that there was a snake in that. There was a cobra in that hill and that the people of the village worshipped the cobra, and that they would go feed him every day. And many times they got bitten, and many times they died. And, but they were worshipping this snake. That's what they were worshipping. And, and they lived in abject poverty. Well, that's not God's plan for his creation, is it? That's not his plan. That's not his goodness. That's darkness. That's what the enemy has. That's what we have the opportunity to pull people out of. That's what we get to share, not in the United States. People don't worship snakes in the United States, but they worship a lot of other stuff, don't they? There's a lot of other idolatry in the United States. It just looks different. You know, it just looks totally different. But you guys have the opportunity to pull people out of that, to put their feet on the rock of Jesus Christ, to give them a hope and a future that only God can give them. Um, 
so anyway, it's just it's exciting. But that's why there is so much darkness in the world. I remember being in Thailand once, and this was after the tsunami. And um, I was talking to this Buddhist lady, and she said, uh, she said, you know, I don't understand. This was about seven months after the tsunami. She said, I don't understand why, why everybody came after the tsunami, but nobody stayed except the Christians. And it was a perfect opportunity to tell her about Jesus. I said, well, it's because of Jesus. It's, about, it's because of the God we serve. He loves people. He doesn't want to leave them in that, in that position, and he wants them to know about him. So it was a perfect opening. But isn't that interesting that she said everybody else came? Of course, the UN came. Of course, all the, the NGOs came. But it was only the Christians that stayed and helped. Because where Jesus is, there is light. Where Jesus is, there is life. Where Jesus is, there is love. And that's what he is. And that's what we are. That's what we are for him in this world. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of darkness. But that's why we pursue him. Um, and getting your life or your light or your love from the world is like putting an AA battery in a ski boat and trying to ski behind it. We just got, we just got home from a vacation on the lake. And, uh, you know, Garrett's a big guy. And so Ben's tall. And Todd's a big guy, too. And you cannot pull these guys unless you got some power in your engine, you know, if they're trying to ski. But if you put an AA battery in a boat, how far are you going to get? You're going to be dead in the water. That's what it's like trying to get your power, your love, your light, your life from this earth, from this world, from the cosmic system. It's like putting an AA battery in a ski boat. It ain't going to work. You're going to be dead in the water. And it's not going to bring any fun either. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be miserable. So anyway, that's just a little analogy to the power that we have in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit resides in each side, each one of you. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he's your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And all we have to do is get in touch with it. That's all God asks us to do. It's inside of you. You have the fruits of the Spirit living inside of you as well because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You don't have to go out and try to find them. You don't have to try to go out and find patience. You don't have to go out and try to find self-discipline. It's inside of you. You just have to get in touch with it because God lives in you. He abides in you. He's in you. So that's the power that we have inside of us as believers. That's why we pursue him because he's worth pursuing. Um, A renewed mind comes through the Word of God. And a renewed mind is a part of our pursuit of God. Remember, this is our last one we're talking about. Seek the Lord with all your heart, and you will find him. Pursuing God means um, it means getting into this, this book right here, the Word of God. Now, you may say, because there are two words for word. One is logos, and one is rhema. The logos word is this word right here. And you may say, you know, I don't like reading the Word. It's really boring, and it's really dry. And I know I've been there. I've been there before when the word was dry and boring, and I didn't want to open it up, and I didn't want to have a devotion. I didn't want to have a quiet time. But I guarantee you, if you ask the Holy Spirit, when you open the word of God to teach you the word, teach you what he wants you to know about it, he'll do it. If you open the word of God and you say, Lord, I want to know what this looks like. I want to know what it looks like in my life. Say you're reading about Jesus healing a leper. Picture Jesus Picture that leper. Picture what that leper looked like with his skin almost dead, looking like a dead person. Picture him going up to Jesus and picture Jesus putting his hands on him. Now, did they put their hands on lepers in those days? No way. They ran the other way when a leper came. Make a picture in your mind. Use your imagination to picture this story of Jesus laying his hands on a leper and what his eyes looked like when he looked at that leper and what it was like to watch that, the people around him. That's your Savior. 
Picture the look on his eyes when he healed that leper and what that was like for that man's life. Take, let, the, let the word of God come alive for you as you read it. Put yourself in the scene, and, um, and it will happen. I guarantee you it will happen. Take the word and say, what does it mean that the word of God is alive and powerful? Powerful. It's alive. It gets down into the very joints and marrow of my being. Lord, I want that to happen to me. When you read the scripture, as you dialogue with the Holy Spirit, and you read the scripture, and you use your imagination, and you picture these things, I guarantee it will come alive to you. You will, you will not be able to hardly wait to get to the word the next day. It will not be dry. It will not just be words on a page. It will be Jesus Christ speaking to you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, his word, because it's his mind. And remember, what you behold, you become. So you will become that. That's what you will become. And then the rhema word is the word of God. That's R-H-E-M-A. The rhema word is the word that is spoken into your heart. And this is something we need, we're going to do right when we finish here. We're going to listen for God to speak to us. And God wants to speak to his people. We just have a tendency in this Western culture to be very intellectual with the word of God. We, are, we don't sit and listen and meditate and say, Lord, speak to me about this. Speak into my heart. What do you want to say to me? What are your words for me? Because we don't use our imaginations in this culture, in the spiritual world. We think of imagination as being, oh, that's what little boys do when they're in school and they're bored. They use their imaginations. But God designed your imagination in order to communicate with you in, in something that he designed. So when you... You meditate on the Word of God, and you're asking Him to speak to you, and you're asking Him to show you pictures, and asking Him, for instance, if you're studying the fruits of the Spirit, picture yourself, picture yourself being patient. What are the fruits? They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Picture yourself with self-control. Do you have an area in your life where self-control is hard? I do. I mean, I really like chocolate, and I can eat lots and lots of chocolate. But I can picture myself saying no to chocolate. Picture yourself doing that. Picture yourself being kind to a person you don't like. Picture yourself being patient in a situation that really makes you irritated. Picture yourself exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, and you will become... You know, they've done some studies, and it's so interesting that if you can picture something in your mind, it's as powerful as if you can do it. Like golfers, if you can picture a golf swing, a perfect golf swing in your mind, and you guys that are in sports, if you can picture it in your mind and really go over it in your mind, it's as powerful as if you practice it physically. So how much more powerful is the Word of God if you picture it in your mind, how it can change your mind and change who you are? I mean, it's just, it's really neat. It's just cool stuff. Um, so anyway, that's pursuing God. The rhema word is God's word spoken to you into your heart. He wants to speak to you. Because the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I know them. God knows you. You follow him. You hear his voice. He says it in the scripture. You can hear the voice of God. Um, and then the last one, let's see, did I cover everything here? Um, Logos and Ramah. Um, and then the last one is the prize himself. It's the prize. Um, <clears throat> that last part of the scripture says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And this is the pearl of great price. Remember in Matthew where the, the man found the pearl, 
that was of great price. And what did he do? He went out and he sold everything that he had in order to get that pearl. That's how we should be with Jesus, because he is the prize. He is so beautiful. He is so wonderful. The more we get to know him, the more we come into intimacy with him, our life becomes more and more and more meaningful. And he uses us more and more and more. So he is the prize, not the world, not money, not you know, uh, a good marriage. All those things are wonderful. Those are all things he can bring to you. But the absolute prize is Jesus himself. Because he is the one you will spend eternity with. Eternity. If you have believed in him, because when he went to the cross for you, he looked down off that cross and he thought about you and he saw all of your sins and he took those sins on himself on the cross and he paid the penalty for them. And that penalty, the pouring out of the sins of the world on the cross, everything that we have ever done was his love for us. Those sins... I, I think Todd figured it out once how many billions of sins there were if we each committed 10 sins a day, something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable. The cross was so devastating that the Father darkened the world at that time so that no one would look upon his son, that they would not see his son. He not only took the disease of the world, he took the sorrow, he took the sin. Why did he do it? He did it so he could have a relationship with us. He did it so he could have a relationship with you. He was willing to, go, to do that in order to have a relationship with you. All he asks of you are those two things. Pursue him, seek him with all your heart, stay in communication with him, and, and look for him in everything. And, that's, and then he becomes the prize. And I guarantee you guys, I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s, so I've known the Lord for many, many years. There is nothing better than intimacy with Christ. It gets you through the hard times. I'm not saying there won't be hard times because there will. You might be on a high, you might be on a low. You know, in the Greek, um, <clears throat> the togas that they wore, there was always, you've probably seen it, there was always a kind of a pattern that went like this. It was an up and then a down and then an up and then a down, and it represented the river of life. I can't remember what the name of it but is, but sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down and sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. That's just life. We're not going to always be up. We're not going to always be down. But I guarantee you, whether you're down or whether you're up, intimacy with Jesus will keep you in the place you need to be, and it'll keep you with joy in your heart no matter what is going on. And it's worth it. It's worth the pursuit. So remember the four things. The first one is the promise. He has a great promise for you. The second one is prayer. Stay connected to him in prayer. The third one is the pursuit. Seek him with all your heart, and you will find him every single day. Posture your heart before him so that he can speak into your life. Posture your heart before him so that he can move you. He can teach you. He can guide you. And then the fourth one is he will be the prize for you. I guarantee it. And it's a, it's a beautiful prize. And it's not a prize like $500,000 that you might win you know, in the lottery. It's a prize that you'll have for all eternity. Not just today, not just tomorrow but all eternity. And when you stand before him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant.